A lot of you have been asking me for insomnia treatment options, so I want to let you know I have launched an insomnia treatment course. It's a very structured and effective treatment program with a lot of clinical evidence support. So one course is in Chinese and one is in English. You can find it at deepintosleep.co/insomnia. Hi, welcome to another episode of Deep Into Sleep podcast. I'm your host Yishan. So right now I'm on a two-week break from doing podcasting. I'm trying to do some really good self-care, and I hope you do that yourself too. So today's episode is gonna be a replay from our episode zero one three with Dr. Chris Winter. If you have struggled with insomnia or other sleep problems, you possibly have encountered his popular sleep book, The Sleep Solution: Why Your Sleep Is Broken and How to Fix It. I have to say, his book is so funny. I bought it from Audible, and I listened to it while I was driving long time ago, and I could not stop laughing the whole way. So, if you want to figure out how to help yourself sleep better in a fun way, I would recommend his book. So, this conversation I had with him during a conference. So, the background is a little bit noisy, but the conversation is a lot of fun. Hopefully, you enjoy it. Let's go. Hi, Doctor Winter.、Uh, it's an honor to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Sean. It's really a, it, the honor is all mine. So, actually,、um, since I invited you, I did a little bit search online. I find <laughs> there is a 2010 article in the Trail Runner magazine describe you as a leading expert in the field of sleep disruption, especially in athletes and issues related to travel. Absolutely. Who, who are we to argue with Trail Runner magazine? Really, is what <laughs> I would say. No, I do spend a lot of time working with athletes、uh, and their sleep, and and find it to be interesting in and of itself. But it's also a help when we're dealing with just average patients. You know,、mm. I think that that it's a nice sort of model for you know some of the things that even you deal with the anxiety that goes along with sleep. I think sometimes. If you're an elite athlete, that becomes even more enhanced. You know, if I'm、yes. not sleeping that well, I might not have a great day in my clinic. If they don't sleep well, they feel like it's going to impact their ability to perform at their best. So there's a lot of interesting parallels there. So you can take Trail Runner magazine's expertise in the matter for what it's worth, but、um, yeah, I, I do find the way that we look at sleep and manipulate sleep, and then monitor the way they do in their athletics to be a nice、uh, way to sort of Figure out is what we do for a living, helping、mm-hmm. people and athletes. It's a very easy thing to measure. Great. Since we talk about anxiety and athlete, so I do want to ask you more about that. I do see sometimes there are like teen athlete coming in or college students who are in school and they are also playing sports. So when they have high anxiety, very in a very competitive environment, and they also suffer some kind of Insomnia or some kind of sleep issues. How you help them? Sure. So, I, mean, I think that the first thing I try to convey are some facts about sleep, and、mm-hmm. I think just sometimes telling people, you know, two things that they hear all the time: your sleep is important. You got to get eight hours. You're going to die. I think just telling them, number one, even if you made the decision not to sleep, you probably couldn't do it. So the idea that the conversation that we're having or the 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 problem that we're treating is the the, the, the 
is, is that we're trying to get somebody who can't sleep to sleep is probably not true. We're probably dealing with an individual who might be a little bit more hyper aroused, a little bit more trouble settling, maybe somebody's waking up more than they would like. That's very different from not being able to sleep. And I find a lot of young people come to our clinic panicked because they can't sleep. And then their parents are basically getting their information from the child. So in, in the morning at breakfast, the parents say, oh, honey, how did you sleep? I didn't. I didn't sleep again last night. And so now they're getting panicked in and of themselves. And the parent's response to the situation is panicky. I don't want my child not to sleep. So there's just a lot of unnecessary fear. So when you sit down and say, look, you're not in danger of not sleeping. That doesn't mean you're sleeping well. It just means that we're not dealing with an individual who can't sleep. That's important. I think the second thing is that trying to get them to understand that we talk about eight or nine hours of sleep as being important, and it is, uh, but it's also an average. Um, there are people who are exceptionally tall. There are people like me who are very short. And it doesn't mean that, that there's a normal, see, it just might be a little bit less than normal. You might be a little bit more than normal. I also think it's really helpful for young people who are trying to establish control of their sleep to give them tools related to meditation or resting because I could tell you right now, go to sleep. I want you to close your eyes and go to sleep in that chair. It might be very difficult for you to do that. And if I've put in your head that there's all kinds of health consequences to not being able to fall asleep, it's not going to make it easier. However, if I told you, close your eyes and rest, just close your eyes, lean back, think about your sport, think about your girlfriend or boyfriend, think about something positive in your life, and I'm going to tell you that that resting is actually benefiting your body, it suddenly gives that teenager control. They can't control whether they sleep or not, but they can control resting, they control the response to the situation that's giving them anxiety. Those are the things we start with to help individuals kind of climb out of that situation. Wow, so you are basically empowering them. Trying to. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that's really what it boils down to. You know, we always, in my clinic, and I bet you see the same thing, you see a lot of very interesting, driven, goal-oriented, type A people that have this personality that lends itself to a lot of success. You know, you don't become a clinical psychologist in a private practice and go to UVA and train at Stanford and do all these things if you're not to some degree goal-driven. However, to get that individual to all of a sudden when they go to bed at night, stop being goal-driven is really difficult to do. So we don't see a lot of people who follow the Grateful Dead around, sell homemade hockey sacks out of their van and don't really care. You know, they're not coming to our clinics for help. It's the goal-oriented, best pitcher on the team who wants to go to college and pitch for a great sport and knows if they do well, they'll get a scholarship. If they don't do well, they won't. And that's a difficult thing to break um, into that sort of mindset where it's okay to fail at sleep sometimes. You're really not. Right, and it's okay not to be able to control your yeah. sleep, let it be. Absolutely. There was a reporter who asked me one time, um, do you have any tips for our readers um, who may wake up in the, in the middle of the night and not be able to fall back to sleep? I said, I'll give you a tip, but you've got to give me a tip first. And she said, okay, what, would, what tip do you want? I said, I want a tip that if I get to my dinner and I get halfway through my spaghetti and I don't want to eat the rest, what's a good tip for being able to finish the rest of that spaghetti? 
and the writer said, I don't think that that's really a problem. I don't think you need to do that if you're not hungry. And I think to some degree that's insomnia. If a patient wakes up at 3 o'clock in the morning and can't get back to sleep, why are we defining that as a terrible problem? Um, it might just be that you're not sleepy, so that's okay. Maybe read a book or write a letter to your mother or you know, whatever you like to do. But you know, I think that sometimes recontextualizing it into something that may not be quite the problem you think it is can be very helpful. I really like that analogy, actually, because I feel like a lot of people come to the clinic seeing us try to find help. They are actually asking for some quick solution, basically, to make their digestion fast so yes. they can finish the rest of the That's dish. That's exactly right. No, I, I agree. You know, we, we, we talk about that a lot. I think sometimes um, th these are issues that if the parents have decided it's a problem, if the doctors decide it's a problem, if the media has decided it's a problem, we have to take a step back from solving the problem and really help them understand what is the problem. Um, it's sort of like the Michael Jackson situation. He's getting ready to go on tour, he can't sleep. Instead of the doctors saying a question maybe, when you say you can't sleep, what do you mean? They're just bombarding him with medications to the point where they unfortunately kill him. So I do think that sometimes our role as people who treat insomnia is for them to understand the problem and contextualize it much more fully before we just jump ahead and, and start treating. Right, right. I really like that, how to figure out the picture. We have to clear the picture first, right? You do. Yeah, that reminded me the old Chinese saying, when you are in the mountain, you don't see the whole mountain. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. No, and you know, it's interesting too. I, I find a lot of information and guidance in my so my I wrote a book about it and then if you look on Amazon you can look at the the reviews of it and the last time I checked there's about a hundred I find it most interesting to look at the one-star reviews and what does that mean when somebody truly doesn't like the book um, it's generally not because of its organization or its syntax and grammar it's usually because they, there's a feeling by some group of insomnia patients that I'm minimizing the problem, that I'm making light of it, where it's a serious problem he doesn't understand. And they'll use words like nightmare, hellish experience, cruel and unusual. And it's exactly like you said, you're lost on the mountain. There is an analogy there that you can't see the fact that the path out it's just beyond those trees right there. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes it's very upsetting for people to, to, to be sort of confronted with that. You know, I almost feel like sometimes with insomnia, like with grief, there's several stages. There's denial, there's bitterness, there's, you know, bargaining. And, and, and you probably see that in your clinic. I doubt many people come to see you and within 15 minutes they're fixed. Okay. These are deeply ingrained kinds of things. So... When I see that one-star review, my thought is generally, and maybe that's something I tell myself to make myself feel better, <laughs> that at least I've planted a seed. That person's mm -hmm. angry at me, mm -hmm. but at least they're thinking about, well, maybe he's right. Maybe this isn't as terrible. I mean, to me, if I think about a cruel, hellish situation, it's probably not sitting in a bed tonight awake. 
sounds like those kind of person who leave one one star review, they are really fused with this problem. They refuse to get diffused. Well, this and so if this were my podcast and you were my guest, this is something that I would ask you about, which and I find fascinating, but certainly don't have all the answers. Is like use the word fuse. At some point, I feel like insomnia and maybe any kind of chronic medical condition becomes fused with the person. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ask me, Chris, tell me about yourself. I would say I'm a father. I'm proud of that. Um, I like. Uh, coffee and like to talk about that. I love sleep and I'm passionate about clinical sleep medicine and I'm a pretty good artist. So there's ways I would define myself. Um, I think over time insomnia can be a way a patient defines him or herself. My wife's a wonderful um, speech writer. Uh, My kids are very good athletes and I'm somebody who can't sleep and doctors can't really figure me out. So it's weird sometimes. I feel like the role that you have as a clinical psychologist dealing with insomnia sometimes has to be pulling that, separating that out, that you're more than just an inability to not sleep. And it's okay to understand that this thing that may have defined your life for 10 years mm-hmm. is maybe not exactly what you think it is. It's not that you don't have a problem. It's just the problem might be a little bit different from what you think it is. And these are very, very nuanced things that we have to deal with with patients, I think, sometimes. Right. When insomnia, when sleep becomes the single self-identity, then they just, uh, their eyes are totally blind. Uh-huh. They cannot see anything else other than sleep problem. And also, when they've determined that if they could just fix the sleep problem, the chronic pain would go away, the depression would be better, their relationships with others would be better, their job productivity, their clearer thinking, which may happen. You may be able to solve sleep problems and a lot of those things get better. They may not. And I think to some degree that's a difficult thing to know that we may go through this process together and fix this sleep problem. There's not a guarantee it's going to solve all of your other problems, even though over time you may have built that up in your mind that that's the linchpin for solving everything. Right. I definitely see a lot of people like that, not only sleep, anxiety or single, you know, big problem in life feels like huge block in their way that they cannot go anywhere until they get that moved, but that's not actually true. Absolutely. So, you know, I find the the use of the word function to be, you know, not to to be off color, but we talk about the F word. I think the F word in a sleep clinic is often function. Um, I, you've got to help me, um, I'm dysfunctional. I'm not functional because of this. Yet, they got themselves up, they got themselves dressed, they're having a perfectly fine conversation with you, they found your clinic you know, on the GPS map, you know. So it is interesting sometimes, like you said, their perspective, I think your analogy is a very good one. You, you're, you are lost in the woods and it's very difficult to appreciate where you are when you're, when you're that much in the dark. I think that I think you couldn't have said that any more clearer. Mm-hmm. So since you mentioned your book, I think your book called The Sleep Solution, right? Which is a very interesting book. I've been listening to your book. A lot of humor. I find myself <laughs> constantly laughing while well, I listen good. to your book. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Drive. You, 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 
hopefully you're in the majority. So, I mean, I, my, my hope with the book was that I, I feel like the, 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 the scientific or the textbook about insomnia has been written better already and better than I could ever write at Charles Moore. And there's a bunch of out there that really, you know, they're, they're the shoulders we all stand on. I really wanted my book to feel a bit more conversational, a bit more like you just happen to get seated on a plane next to a sleep doctor for a long flight to, to you know, to Asia. Uh, and you're just kind of asking them the questions you wanted to ask. So yeah. I try to put humor in there to diffuse it a little bit, to make you understand that this is not a death sentence, this is not a problem that we can't solve. Like I said, I do think sometimes if you're particularly sensitized to it, it might come off as, I don't feel this way, but I could see maybe it would be misinterpreted as me making fun of the situation, which I'm not. This is my life's work in helping people with sleep problems. I, I can assure everyone listening, I don't think that it's a joke at all. But I do want people to hopefully, in the midst of every news report, every CNN special, every Wall Street Journal article that comes out about sleep and how it can contribute to dementia and heart disease and stroke and death and diabetes, that I did want to kind of soften it a little bit. Yes, those things are true, but we can, we can kind of all take a collective sigh and a deep breath and understand that, that we, can, we can fix a lot of these things, that they're not quite as maybe dire as we talk about them. I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are that would be, but I, I do worry sometimes that all this wonderful information, we're here together at the World Seep Congress, that you know all this great information and great research people are doing is kind of making the average insomnia patient feel even more nervous about their sleep and, and hopefully right. not less, which is where I think it might be intended to do so. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I know a lot of people uh, with insomnia, they tend to have a lot of misperceptions about research and the media out there, news, letters, they, they are not helpful. They keep on exaggerate some of the findings. Yep. And I think people only see what they want to see. I agree. And, you know, it, to me, I almost feel like there's sort of two narratives. And the narrative of sleep deprivation, I feel like, is geared towards the uh, young resident who's... Uh, training to be a clinical psychologist and she's got long hours and, and a lot of clinic and a lot of responsibilities, the shift worker at the automobile plant, the woman working two jobs to make a mortgage payment after a divorce. There is a sleep deprivation narrative out there and the narrative is, yes, what you're doing and working these two jobs and driving an Uber at night is incredibly harmful to you. I think that what I did clinically as a medical student, as a resident, was harmful to my body. And it doesn't take a genius to look at the pictures of me during that time of my life and think, wow, Chris, you look really unhealthy. Mm -hmm. So I think there is that narrative. I think that's a very different narrative than the insomnia patient. But the media doesn't do a good job of saying, oh, no, no, we're talking about sleep deprivation, not insomnia. I think that in the minds of many lay people, those are synonyms. If right. you're insomnia, an insomnia patient, you are sleep deprived, and I don't think that's the case. In fact, a lot of my insomnia patients, when given opportunities to sleep, don't. You know, so one of the things I think we struggle with sometimes is helping an insomnia patient understand that you're probably not sleep deprived, even though your subjective satisfaction with sleep is very poor, or you may feel like you're spending eight hours a night just staring at the ceiling, when in fact, 
your Fitbit or your bed partner might be telling you otherwise, or just rational thought might be telling you otherwise. Do you really feel like, as one of my patients told me recently, she had gone nine months without sleep? Do you think, does that scientifically sound possible to you? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's a, it's, a, it's a very complicated issue that you tackle professionally, and I think sometimes the media has 200 words in a little box in a magazine that they get to talk about insomnia with, and I don't think that it, it does the condition justice. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. Tell us, you know, how would, you know, if somebody calls you up and says, um, how do you handle insomnia in a young child? Like, mm-hmm. that's a big conversation. That's not two, in 200 words. What are your best <laughs> tips for a child who can't sleep, you know? And so anyway, I think that these are really fun things to be able to explore in a podcast mm-hmm. like this or in a, in a lecture, like at the World Sleep Congress, and a little harder to do in a little letter to the editor or blurb or something like that. It's yeah, tough. exactly. Because just now I was exactly thinking about the same thing when I talk to other people, especially when I talk to people in China. They keep on asking. They only want to know, what can I do? I think it's so important for you to make the distinguish between sleep deprivation and insomnia. A lot of people need to know that. But I also find some people got so impatient when we try to explain the science behind it, the rationale behind it. Just give me a pill. It. Yeah. Well, Come on, to, dog, give me a pill. Let's yeah. Do. To me, they cannot say that. So they keep on pushing. What can I do? Just tell me one thing or two things, three things I can do so I can sleep better tonight. You know, it's interesting. I mean, I'll, I'll be very blunt. I think that the only pathway of insomnia treatment is... It's cognitive behavioral therapy, the things that you do. I mean, I think that there are, there are specific instances where medications can be helpful temporarily or with travel or this or that, but to me, the only meaningful treatment for insomnia is the work that you do, and it's work. I'm, not, I'm using that term very specifically. It's not, I'm going to show up, I'm going to see this, this, this provider, and they're going to solve me very quickly. We often, in the athletes that we deal with, we'll often get a call around the playoffs this patient is struggling to sleep, can you get on the phone with them and fix the problem? And the analogy I've always used is, to me, that's like a town that's calling me as an engineer saying, well, we've just run out of water. Can you build a dam and recreate our town's water supply? Yes, I can do that, but we needed to start that project months or maybe years ago. So I always find it interesting when I work with young people I find it a lot interesting, more more helpful to prevent insomnia than it is to actually try to treat it when it's happening and it's bad. Wow. Almost, in other words, I almost see what we do working better as immunizing our patients against insomnia rather than treating the condition once it's developed. And immunization to me starts with you know, educating young people, maybe even in schools about how sleep works and what do you do when you have a bad night of sleep because when it becomes a crisis, there's a lot of things going on that really interfere with the ability to solve the problem. Like you said, in patients, I just want a treatment now, it's crisis level, it's affecting my work, it's affecting my health, it's affecting my relationships with my parents, you know. So that's a difficult thing to deal with. It's a whole lot easier when it's, you know, before it starts or when it's just just in its infancy, but nobody goes to see a provider when it's just getting started. They wait right. until it's terrible 
and then you know right. we tried every sleeping pill and nothing works and so anyway. <laughs> exactly exactly yeah so prevention is as important as treatment afterwards I think so yeah and 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 and, and, and you know, I, I see it with my own children. You know, I, I told them when they were very young they could go to bed whenever they wanted to. And what I meant, those you have to be in your bedroom, but you can turn the lights out whenever you want. Now, what I didn't tell them was I'm going to wake them up at the same time every day, nicely, kindly. And if they say, well, Dad, I had a really bad night, I didn't sleep that well, I'm going to say, well, I still need you to get up, and you can tell me about it over breakfast, and you're still going to go to school. It's going to be okay. Like, So I felt like I inoculated my children again. So now they're in their you know, late teens, early 20s, and they're all very good sleepers. And when it works out well for them, great. When it doesn't, they don't have that anxiety response because I've never given them reason to have it. In fact, a lot of times when they were little and they said they couldn't sleep, I would instruct them, well, maybe you should just stay up all night. So, you know, so it, it, again, you know, kind of reverse psychology of, well, dad doesn't seem to be too concerned about it. I think a lot of parents would say, you've got to get to sleep now or you're going to do terribly on that test tomorrow. Exactly. And so we build these insomnia patients over the years. It doesn't just happen overnight. So I think if there are ways we could still put that message out there about insomnia or about, about sleep and its benefits in the Matt Walker kind of books, but also help people to understand you have a certain amount of control over this, the way you internalize that and interpret it over your life, you might be able to help people down the line. I don't know. These are just ramblings. Yeah, well, I think this is great. Parents <laughs> need to know, right? And children pick up on parents' anxiety. Uh, yes. Yeah, especially sleep-related. Most people are aware, like parents read a lot of books nowadays, especially young parents. Yeah. So you know a lot of other things, but regarding sleep, there's so limited knowledge out there. They don't know what to do, how to handle it. Well, most sleep books, if you say, well, have you read a book about kids and sleep? They're generally about how to get your baby to sleep. That's, that's sort of the genre. Uh -huh. um, in fact, I was, I'm actually writing a book about sleep in children. Oh, great. And a lot of the reviewers would say things like, oh, like, we read, we read a lot of those books. And I was, you know, I would always think, like, what books are you talking? I'm not aware. And what they're saying is, oh, we think of kids' sleep books as being the books that parents get when you have a new baby about feeding schedules and when to change your diapers and when to, you know. And I'm like, that's just one tiny little sliver of, you know, raising a good sleeper from the time they're born till they're heading off to college. So it's interesting. I, I think there is a lack of information. Like once you get your kids sleeping through the night, it's like mm -hmm. the sleep community says, well, Good luck. We're not going to help anymore after that. You know, right, yeah. just make sure they get their sleep, or they're going to die at a young age, and we wouldn't want that. You know. So anyway. Yeah, I really look forward to the book. I gonna, <laughs> I want to have one uh, or multiple language copies in my clinic because actually in our like psychology clinic, we do see some parents with eight year old, ten year old yeah. with sleeping difficulties, uh, or some like suddenly the children got scared. They cannot sleep on their own bed anymore. Yeah. All kinds of like behavior issues created insomnia, basically. Yeah. Uh huh. And there's lack of resource. There's a no Absolutely. nowhere they can turn for help. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, for a lot of these things, I think if the parents had a resource that they could turn to earlier, not that there's anything wrong with what you do, I think it could sort of cut it off at an earlier stage. I mean, these things have a way of festering. You know, by the time they make it to our clinics, they've 
been, you know, it, it, we always had a, you had a say, you, had, you mentioned your Chinese saying, when I was in medical school in Atlanta, the, the saying was, if you get sick, you go back to bed. If you get really sick, then you go to the hospital. <laughs> and, and, I, and I think that was sort of a similar thing that if you could cut it off when you're just a, having a little trouble falling asleep, um, you know, it would be helpful rather than wait till it becomes this full blown, yep. you've got a small bed in your parents' bedroom and now the parents aren't sleeping well and they're right. frustrated and it just becomes this whole sort of stress storm. Yeah, and today in the one of the lecture in the conference, they talk about a child's sleep problem is a whole family's sleep problem. Absolutely. I always tell new parents, if we can get you some sleep, you can handle anything your children throw at you. you know, but if you're trying to deal with these you know, issues and you're not getting sleep, I can say personally, my worst parenting moments were at times when my kids were doing just regular kid stuff, but I wasn't getting enough sleep because I was on call or something like that. And you're sitting there by yourself later in the night thinking, I can't believe I was so upset for my child for doing that thing. Like clearly my emotional regulation was screwed up somewhere. And, and not that that's any excuse for, you know, but, but you know, I always feel like, yeah, hey guys, I'm really sorry I yelled at you for your room being messy. You need to clean it. But Daddy's just not getting enough sleep, so no. please forgive Daddy, and, and maybe we can stave off therapy sessions for you when you get to be older. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We covered a lot of wonderful topics, and is there final one or two key points you really want the audience take away? No, I, I think that, I guess the one thing I would say is, and I'd be curious about your thoughts, I often talk about sleep as being a skill. It's not necessarily a trait. Now, there are certainly genetics that factor into that, as, as, as you probably know more than anyone. But it's something that if you're a good sleeper, you can improve upon it. You can, you, can, you can make it even a little bit more enhanced or better. And it's one of those things where if your sleep isn't that great, you know, to use a, a sport analogy, it's sort of like a child who you know, is playing baseball and gets to a certain level and finds it difficult to hit a curveball. Um, but I think that that's not a trait. It's something that you can practice if you get the right coach and, there, and a lot of exposure to curveballs and understand how they work and what to look for. You can get better at doing that. And I think sleep's that way too. So I think a lot of people, when they're struggling, get kind of trapped in this idea that I'm just a bad sleeper. Like, right. I'm, I'm short. I'm pale skinned, uh, I'm losing some of my hair, and I'm a bad sleeper. Like these are things that, you know, all these things I can't control. Um, you know, but, but you, you can, you, you can get better at it. And I think it's such a rewarding thing as, and you can again speak to this too, as a practitioner, when somebody, you see them go from really struggling to kind of coming out the other end. So maybe to use the analogy, the five-star review of my book. Like, wow, this has really helped me see things differently. It's really helped take stress out of the situation. I've slept. Ever since I read your book, I've been sleeping better. Like, that is such a rewarding thing to kind of bring people through that dark wilderness and get them on the path so they can get off the mountain, see the mountain for what it is. I, so to me, I think that just understand that you're not locked into whatever kind of sleep you are. And, and, and to your point, it can change quickly. You know, again, to use the baseball analogy, the all-star batter at some point might go through a slump. 
you know, suddenly this, this fantastic baseball player has gone 13 straight at bats and struck out every time, you know, how do you get outside of the mentality of that and understand that, you know, the 14th at bat's going to be a hit, you know, or, or do you go in there with such gloom and doom and, and, and it takes you off your game so much that it, it starts to alter its own. So insomnia to me kind of controls its own destiny in a weird way. It's always funny to ask, what, why, why did your insomnia start? And they'll say, well, it was the divorce. But when was the divorce? 13 years ago. So it's so funny. Okay. Like, is that really you think what's causing your sleep problems tonight? Or did that set something in motion that a decade later we're still dealing with? It's, it's, to me, insomnia is about the most fascinating condition in the world. So <laughs> it's fun to talk to people who feel similarly. Uh, I can tell you're very passionate about it, too. Yeah, definitely. And I, I totally agree with you. what you say. I think we cannot control sleep, but we can change ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, 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 that's, and that, that, that is a simple yet daunting statement you just made. Some find it simple, some find it incredibly daunting, and like I said, some find it incredibly irritating. Well, it's not me. It's not, there's nothing wrong with me. It's because I can't sleep, and I've got that gene, or you know, whatever. So I, I think that's a, a very insightful way to end it. I, in fact, I think that's exactly how we should end it. I'm going to tell right. you how to end your own podcast. That's perfect. I think your, your statement is a wonderful way to summarize it. Yeah, thank you so much. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. I'm shaking your hand. You can't see that. I just shook her hand. <laughs> That was really a fun conversation with Dr. Winter. And I love all his metaphors when he think about sleep. I actually interviewed him right in the middle of the conference, in the conference hallway. So you may hear some background noise from other participants come and go between conference sessions. Hopefully you learned something and liked this episode. If you want to find out more about Dr. Winter's book, you can visit our show notes at deepintosleep.co forward slash episode forward slash 013. Again, thank you for listening and thank you for all your support all this time. I would love to hear from you. If you have any questions, feedback, please feel free to record them on the website deepintosleep.co. I will hear them and find the answer for you. For those who are struggling with insomnia, please remember, even though we cannot control our sleep, we can actually change how we react to sleep problems and how we think about sleep. I appreciate to have you joining me in this journey. I will see you next week. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed. Are you suffering from insomnia? I promise you... The CBTI method in my course will definitely help you. 
even if several nights of better sleep, that would be a world-changing experience for you. I have had so many success from my insomnia patients who have taken this course over the years. If you know someone who are struggling with sleep, go to my website and check out my course at deepintosleep.co/insomnia.